Welcome back to Chasing Dramas, the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. This is Karen. And this is Kathy. Today, we are discussing episode 72 of Hou Gong Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. As always, feel free to reach out to us if you have any comments or questions, either at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com or else on Instagram and Twitter at ChasingDramas. This episode, this podcast episode, is split into two parts. The first is discussing the final judgment against the Empress. In our last podcast discussion, the Empress lost her final support system in the palace, her adoptive son, the third prince, and her servants. Those servants were tortured for information, and her multiple atrocities have finally been revealed to the Emperor, and he decides her fate in this episode. Once that's done, the episode kind of abruptly moves on to a meeting with the new Zungar Khanate, whom we've actually met in the past. We'll do an in-depth analysis on the first part of the episode and briefly talk about the second part as it sets up the story for the following episodes. Alright, let's begin. Episode 72 starts with the Emperor's head eunuch, Su Peisheng, presenting the interrogation findings of the Empress's servants to the Emperor in his study. Su Peisheng shares the bombshell that the Empress was involved in the death of the Emperor's beloved first wife, Chun Yuan. The Emperor is initially outraged to hear this accusation, but Su Peisheng explained that there were several ingredients harmful to pregnant women mixed into Chun Yuan's food. These included Bajiao, or commonly known as the Japanese banana, and Taorin, or peach seeds, both of which don't impact the body immediately but is a slow poison. The fact that the stillborn child had purple and green patches over its body is further evidence that this poison actually was there. The reason why this scheme wasn't initially discovered was also because there was another uh, wife, a secondary wife, that disrespected Chun Yuan and caused her to become very anxious. The emperor thought that this was the root cause for the stillborn child and the eventual death of Chun Yuan. Su Peisheng explains that it's precisely this reason that there was a overarching, I guess, concealment that this plot by the empress wasn't discovered earlier. With this painful revelation, the emperor requests the empress's presence. He fully believes that she schemed for the throne, that she killed imperial and royal heirs, and that she eliminated women in the palace. But this, the death of his beloved Chun Yuan, he had to hear from her directly. So, now on to one of the most iconic scenes in this drama. It is iconic for several reasons that we'll get into. The Empress is shown kneeling on the ground while the Emperor sits above, listening to her explain herself. Honestly, after watching this scene, the person I want to punch in the face the most is actually the Emperor. The Empress says that when she and the Emperor first married, he had promised her that if she birthed the son, she would be made Fu Jin, or the main wife. However, 
When she did give birth to a son, her sister, Chun Yuan, already married into the residence and usurped her position. The empress's son is now forever a Shu Chu son, or the translation is a secondary son, because his mother is a secondary wife. Shu Chu children are generally seen as second class in society. The emperor says that he doesn't care about the primary secondary status and that he has always treated the empress well. He himself was a secondary prince. But this was never enough for her. The empress counters that her first wife position was taken, her son's position of crown prince was taken, and even her husband's entire love was taken. She would really like to think it was enough, but she cannot. It's quite heartbreaking to hear what happened to her son. In this episode and right now, we hear what happened from her perspective. Her son wasn't even three years old when he became ill with a high fever and tragically passed away without any medical treatment. When her son died, the emperor, back then again, who was merely a lord or a prince, didn't care much because he was so immersed in the happiness of Chun Yuan's pregnancy. For her own crimes that the empress committed over the years, the empress did not mind or does not mind if her sister comes after her. Why did the gods have to take her son's life? How could she allow her sister's child to survive? In the empress's warped mind, what she did was justice. To this, the emperor asks the quintessential question. I was the one who did all this. I did this and hurt you. Why don't you hate me instead? Why don't you come after me instead? Which is quite a fair question. I mean, he really is the root to all of her pain. The Empress responds with, Do you think I don't want to hate you? You're so focused on your relationship with my sister. Have you ever noticed my love for you? My love for you is not less than your love for my sister. What a poor woman. She fell in love with the emperor, but he does not care for her very much. And we have seen time and again in this drama, at least in the beginning of the drama, instances where she does everything she can to make the emperor happy. Namely, provide women that the emperor is interested in so that he can enjoy himself. Not many women would be able to do that. The emperor doesn't have much to say to this anymore and is ready to remove the empress of her empress position. As he's writing out his decree, though, his mother's head maid hurriedly arrives with one final order from the deceased empress dowager. This order was written on the empress dowager's dying breath, and if we go back to that episode where she died, she is definitely preparing for this situation. The order says that if there ever was an instance that the current empress committed unthinkable atrocities, the emperor must remember that she is never to be removed from her empress position. The emperor is in disbelief. Why would his mother, the empress dowager, write this order? He does not want to keep this woman who killed his most beloved. I mean, who would? The maid, however, reminds him that Chun Yuan's last wish was for him to never leave her younger sister. 
he cannot remove the empress because she, her sister, and his mother are all from the same or related families. The emperor is furious but cannot outright defy the dying wish of his mother and Chun Yuan's last wishes. He decrees that the empress will forever stay in her palace. In life or death, they will never see each other. The phrase in Chinese is 此生不复相见, which is quite the solemn oath. Well, that is that for the empress. Her crimes have finally come to light and she has been defeated. Let's talk about this scene because there are so many things to unpack. Here are a few topics I want to touch on. The first is, the emperor is a complete hypocrite. He keeps on bringing up the fact that the empress and Chun Yuan were sisters, and therefore he cannot fathom how the empress could have killed her own sister. Um, how many of your brothers have you killed or imprisoned? You wouldn't even let your own blood brother from the same mother and father, the 14th prince, to see your dying mother. You banished your own son, the third prince, to be the son of your eighth brother, which ultimately led to his death. It's really rich of him to accuse the empress of not prioritizing familial ties when he himself is not a beacon of light by any means. This part just makes my blood boil. Number two. I truly believe that the emperor only loves Chun Yuan so much because she died at a young age. The empress said it best. She regrets not letting the emperor see her sister age. The emperor, to me, epitomizes every saying where you miss what you've lost. He lost Chun Yuan when she was at her most beautiful and kind. She had yet to participate in palace schemes and did not have to vie for power, so she did not turn, so to speak, evil. I do not believe that anyone who survives in the palace does not change for the worst and does not scheme. Even if it's not to harm others, you will scheme to protect yourself. Alternatively, if Chun Yuan maintained her innocence and kindness, she would have been killed in some way or another. Let's think about every kind person who has been killed already, from Chun Er to Chen uh, Huan's maid, Liu Zhu. She would have too easily been a victim to one of these schemes. And lastly, we have seen time and again how short the emperor's attention span is. If Chun Yuan survived, Who's to say that the emperor might have tired of her like he tired of so many other women in the palace? Dying may have been the best outcome for Chun Yuan because it solidified her existence and imprinted what her behavior was at that specific point in time. I guess the emperor's current obsession with Jin Huan still comes from Chun Yuan. Number three. This scene also once again shows the brilliance of the Empress Dowager. She knew full well what her daughter-in-law did to the women in the Imperial Harem, but she decided that the glory of their clan, the Wula Nala clan, and the position of Empress was more important. Even on her dying breath, she plotted to keep this glory for her clan. 
the empress was not deposed nor killed. She is still the empress. To the empress dowager, that was enough. She manipulated her son from her grave, and that's the last gift she could give to the empress. Also, side note, I really, really like the empress's attire here. She is crying, but I'm really loving uh, what she's wearing in this scene. Overall, while the empress is reprehensible, the emperor is not much better. The two of them are equally terrible people, and I honestly think that the emperor is the worst out of the pair. I don't think the empress could have done or would have done as many terrible things as she did if the emperor kept to his word and cared more for her. Ultimately, though, the emperor and the empress are products of their time. If not for all of these traditions and societal standards, these tragedies may have been limited. Now let's get to some more mundane matters of politics and the imperial court. This is the second part of the episode. We're going to try to go through this as fast as possible because I personally don't care for this too much, but we do want to kind of talk about it so that it uh, sets up the next podcast episode we talk about. I also do wish the drama kind of ended here. <laughs> the remaining episodes are, uh, on one hand, like, you know, just adding more heartbreak, but it does have a rather satisfying ending to kind of like everything that we've seen. Still, this was probably the most satisfying part of the entire drama. The emperor meets with his minister, Zhang Tingyu, to discuss unrest with the Zhanggar Khanate or the Zhanggar Bulo. There's been much upheaval in the empire, but there isn't a general that can lead the forces into battle, or at least the Qing dynasty forces. The best option is to have a lord or prince to lead the troops. The only person they can use so far is the 17th prince, Guo Junwang. The Qing dynasty overall isn't doing too great in this battle. The emperor receives a report that the Zhanggar Khanate and its new ruler, Mo Ge, is demanding astronomical sums as tribute from the Qing dynasty in order to stop the warfare. Of course, the emperor does not agree, and he receives good news shortly after. Apparently, the Zhanggar army has contracted the plague and is currently immobilized. Because of this, the Khan requests a meeting with the emperor for peace talks. Luckily, the Qing dynasty has a cure that the imperial doctor Wen Shichu discovered back when the Qing dynasty suffered from the plague several years back. This is the Qing dynasty's biggest bargaining chip. The emperor agrees to meet the Khan at a banquet in the summer palace, and we have a grand scene where this meeting takes place. The emperor is present with his concubines and children on one side, and his brothers and their families on another. Outside are the various court ministers. We see the Khan come into the banquet hall to find out that he is a familiar face. He is the man that the 17th prince and Jin Huan saved from a snake bite years ago when they were lovers. Uh-oh, this does not bode well for either of them who are in attendance at this banquet. The banquet itself is a battle of wits between the Khan and the emperor. The Khan has a challenge for the court. Someone needs to solve a nine-ring 
jade puzzle. This puzzle is shown to members of the court standing outside and members of the imperial family. They all shake their heads to announce their inability to solve the puzzle. Even Jin Huan declines to answer. Just as the Khan begins to start gloating, Jin Huan whispers in her daughter Long Yue's ear and the girl steps up to try to solve the puzzle. The princess grabs the jade puzzle and throws it on the floor, promptly shattering it and consequently solving the puzzle. The Khan is furious with this act, but the Qing court all quietly smirks on the side. The princess was the perfect person to solve the puzzle in exactly this manner. I personally highly doubt that no one else uh, didn't know how to solve the puzzle. The 17th prince and Jin Huan both smiled when they examined it, but they needed the princess to do this. Why? Because she is someone who could do A, what she wanted, B, be a slap in the face to the Khan since she is so young, and C, prevent the Khan from retaliating exactly because she is so young and because she's a princess. Shortly after, the eunuch Su Peisheng enters to mutter some good news to the emperor. One of his generals was victorious in battle. This gives the emperor even more leverage over the Khan and makes a gesture of peace by offering the cure of the plague to the Khan. At this point, Jin Huan excuses herself from the banquet to use the restroom. However, outside, who comes to stop her? Why, it's the Khan. He recognizes her as the woman with the 17th prince all those years ago. Jin Huan denies any of his allegations because obviously this could have really serious ramifications, but he threatens her to be careful. Ultimately though, this conversation is overheard by one of the emperor's spies. The episode ends with the emperor ordering the spy to continue to investigate further and he goes to meet with the Khan. This can only be bad news for Jin Huan and the 17th prince. We will talk about that in the next podcast episode. Alrighty, now on to the analysis. In this episode, we have the final showdown between the emperor and the empress. The Empress will still be around for a few more episodes, but we will say goodbye to her here. The Empress in history was called Wula Nala Duo Muli. Born in 1681, she married Yongzheng, the then fourth prince, in 1691. So it seems like she was only 10 when she married him. I couldn't find other records, but I think there's something that says she was 13. So uh, I cannot confirm that. Well, she was his primary consort or wife. She gave birth to her son Hong Hui in 1697, who died prematurely in 1704. As in the drama, she didn't have any other children after her son. She became empress when her husband ascended the throne in 1723 at the age of 43. In this episode, the empress quotes from the imperial edict for her ascension to empress. The piece she quotes is directly from the factual records of the Qing dynasty, or Qing Shi Lu Yongzheng Chao. So again, kudos to the drama for this. 
The Empress died in 1731 at the age of 51, which is actually right around when the final scene between her and the Emperor takes place. The Emperor praised the Empress for her adherence to duty, frugality, and kindness. The whole story of Chun Yuan is of course fictional, as well as any claims to her plotting to kill the Emperor's unborn children. This part is of course based on the book Jin Huan Zhuan. This episode features an iconic scene, specifically the phrase Chen Chie Zuo Bu Dao that the Empress states several times as she is confessing to her crimes. This translates to I cannot do it. She couldn't bring herself to hate the emperor, so she says, Why is this so iconic? Well, this phrase, along with a few other phrases from the drama, have been memed, recreated, you name it, in all forms of social media in China. It's taken a life of its own, uh, more in a joking manner. So, for example, if you wanted to say, I want to stop eating desserts, but I cannot do it, in Mandarin you'll say, Basically, you say the exact same phrase that the Empress says at the end. Ada Choi, Cai Xiaofen, the actress for uh, the Empress, actually perpetrated the meme and she has a ton of fun with it. She posted on her Weibo, the Chinese equivalent of Twitter, saying things like, Tell me to not love Ada Choi. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. But using the same Chen Chie Zuo Bu Dao phrase. If you see Ada Choi in Chinese reality TV shows, someone will inevitably bring up this quote. Even if she's not on this show, this line is so classic that people will just start bringing it up and folks will know that it came from Jin Huan Zhuan, or Empresses in the Palace. Kathy will talk about this a little bit more later on, but another reason why it's so hilarious is because when Ada Choi says this line, she has a, I guess, Cantonese accent, so um, when a Mandarin-speaking person hears it, it's even more comical. Right, the scene itself is very solemn and very intense, but it's kind of transformed into a life of its own. Speaking of, let's give a shout out and praise to the actress Tsai Shaofen or Ada Choi. I've watched several of her Hong Kong TVB dramas growing up, but she really astounded me here in this drama. She was extremely famous in Hong Kong and gained even more popularity in the mainland with this drama. Some fun behind the scenes tidbits. She was 37 when she filmed Empresses in the Palace, and shortly before filming, Ada found out she was pregnant with her first child. She initially contemplated backing out of the production, but since she already signed, she decided to conceal her pregnancy and continue filming. A few months in, the cast and crew finally found out about her pregnancy, but they were able to carry on. What a trooper! I'm thoroughly impressed that she was able to act while pregnant, especially in those flower pot bottom shoes. Well, I guess that's what pregnant women had to do back in the day anyways. Again, I don't know how they did it. If you look at interviews with Ada during this time, she constantly jokes that it was relatively easy to adjust to her pregnancy, especially since she was the empress. 
She says that she rarely had to kneel or bow, and as the empress, she always had people to hold on to while walking. Ada Choi is an absolute gem, um, and I'm very glad she didn't pass on this role. I can't imagine another person as the empress for this drama. We've mentioned this before, but her reality TV show appearances are hilarious. Her husband is from the mainland, but he speaks Cantonese at home, so she doesn't speak Mandarin much except for her guest appearances. But her Mandarin in China has become known as the Ada-style Mandarin or Empress-style Mandarin. It's hilarious and cute. I highly recommend Googling some of her appearances. There's a reality TV show called Wang Pai Dui Wang Pai, where she represses her role as the empress to play games and such. She's so charming and a great sport in these episodes. I will warn you though, you will roll over laughing. It's on YouTube, um, and I think there might be subtitles. To this day, because of her iconic turn in this role, Chinese media will refer to her as Huang Hong Niang Niang or the Empress. So whenever you see, oh, who is your guest? Oh, the Empress? You can probably guess that it's Ada Choi. That is quite the feat because for all of us who have seen lots of Chinese dramas, there is no scarcity of empresses or Huang Hong Niang Niang in all of these dramas. So for her to be the iconic empress is really amazing. Well, that is it for this episode. We devoted a ton to the empress because, well, she is the last boss in the imperial harem, at least the last female boss. Junhan has a few more obstacles to face in the palace, but she's vanquished her biggest foe, or so she thinks. With only four episodes left in this drama, we are almost there and very excited to see what we have to talk about for our next drama. Stay tuned to find out and hope everyone is having a really great holiday season.